Open your Bibles with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, second to the last book of the Old Testament. And I started looking at it. You know, we've been talking about getting back into the book of Zechariah. I think we'd made it through chapter 6 or something like that. And, um, and I knew that we'd been away from it for a little while. It's been five years since we started Zechariah. How many of you might have forgotten something about the study in the last five years? Is there a chance? Some of you weren't even here then. And so we're going to start over, and I have to decide you know, how much of the information that we've already covered are we going to do again. But I've got to confess something to you. There's a big problem. My notes... So I, like I listened to the first message that I preached... And then I looked at the notes that I had for that message, and ne'er the twain shall meet. It is hilarious. So if you listen to the first year, it took almost a year, and you think it's going to be the same thing, this, that is, it is, it's not. <laughs> because I, I, I don't know. You know, I preach without notes most of the time, and then I don't remember what I said. So we're, th- this should be, some of it will be new, some of it will be review. But we're going to have a great time in the book of Zechariah. You know, the heartbeat of Grace Baptist Church is really three things. Preaching the gospel, seeing people saved. Number two, biblical verse-by-verse preaching of the Bible. And then making disciples, one-on-one discipleship. That's the heartbeat of Grace Baptist. That's everything we do. But with all the other things we've had going on, we've been doing verse-by-verse, but all over the Bible. So to get back to a book of the Bible... And just dive into it Sunday morning, Sunday night. Just spend time in this book. It's going to be so fun. Now, I want to make a warning to you. This morning, you're going to have to listen on purpose. You're going to have to listen on purpose because we're going to give a lot of background info. So I've got two kinds of people. Well, three kinds of people that that hear the preaching. People that, you know, they're here. They want to be in church, want to love the Lord. They want to be inspired by a message. You have other people that want to learn details. Right? And then other people that are just waiting for lunch. So these are, the, these are the people that I'm talking to today. Those of you who want to be inspired, I hope that we get to that eventually in this message. Those of you who want to learn details, you're going to be so happy this morning as we get started. But there's a problem. I'm going to have to go so fast that if you think you're going to take notes on it, unless you know shorthand, don't worry about it. Just get the podcast and you can stop it and fill the notes in your Bible and all of those things because we're going to go fast. This book of Zechariah is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. Let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to dive into it. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. Father, thank you for the resources that you've given us, other preachers who have come before, who have lended, uh, lent us their insights into this book. But Lord, most of all, we need to hear from you from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we start reading in verse 1, Zechariah 1, and we'll read through verse 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Do you see any repetition there? Lord of hosts, be ye not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? 
and the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. So in the book of Zechariah, we have several different things. And I'm going to get into that in a second. But the first thing that I want to do is just try to familiarize some of you with the way your Old Testament is put together. You have minor prophets and you have major prophets. Minor prophets and major prophets. And so in baseball, you have the minors and you have the majors, right? And so some guys in the minors never make it up to the majors because they're not good enough. That's not what that means in your Bible. The major prophets are just longer. The books are longer. They have more information in them than the minor prophets. So you have major prophets and minor prophets. A good way to describe those minor prophets is the way that the, uh, the Jews did in the Old Testament. They just called them the Twelve. There are 12 minor prophets, and so they just called them the 12 as a group. The thing about those 12 is they all speak about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have anything to do with the church age, but they have a lot to do with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll be seeing some of that as we do this study. Then there is another division of these these prophets. You have the pre-exile prophets, then the exile prophets, and the post-exile prophets. And they're called the pre-exilic. And so, you know, I'm a terrible speller. So I was typing exile, and I, I, I typed E-X-Z-I-L. That's, and so then my thing comes up, and it says it's spelled wrong. I'm like, what's wrong with that? Well, there's no Z. So if you're taking notes, there's, there's no Z in exile. How many of you knew that there was no Z in exile? It's terrible. I can't spell. But anyway, you have these prophets. So what is the exile? What happened was... God had, all the way from the beginning of his working with Israel, said, I want you to work six days, but the, the seventh day, I want that to go to me. So God called that the Sabbath, and he didn't want them to work on the Sabbath. And there were really harsh laws if you did work on the Sabbath. Six days you could work, the seventh day you need to rest. But not only did he do that, but he also had every 50th year was the year of Jubilee. So every seventh year... Every seventh year was a sabbatical year. And in that year, if you had taken property from somebody for a debt, that property went back to them. If somebody had been enslaved because of a debt, they were released. Every seven years, that was supposed to happen. And then on the 49th year, for the 49th year and the 50th year, they weren't supposed to do any work at all. It was supposed to be for the Lord. But here's what Israel had done. They had neglected to keep those Sabbath days. So after 490 years, they owed the Lord 70 years. So what God did was he put them into captivity for 70 years. Can you imagine? 70 years. Now, how many of you are less than 70 years old? Would you raise your hand? That'd be your entire life. Your entire life, the nation of Israel, had been taken away from their land into captivity. That's called the exile. So you have the pre-exile prophets, and the pre-exile prophets would be like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied before the exile and during the exile. Then in the exile, those who started prophesying in Babylon would be Daniel and Ezekiel. And then Haggai and Zechariah, and we'll be looking at Haggai and Zechariah some today, they are post-exile. So they were born in Babylon, but they went back to Israel when they were allowed to go back and they started prophesying in the land. So that's kind of the background of where the book of Zechariah is. So you have minor prophets and major prophets, pre-exilic, exilic, and post-exilic prophets. And so that's the way that they are divided. 
Um, then the Bible gives us three different periods of Jewish history. This is pretty interesting. Three different periods of Jewish history. The first period, God gave them judges. So that goes from Moses until Samuel. Moses until Samuel. These are men that God put forward to judge the nation of Israel. The second group of period of history are the kings. And so that goes from Saul to Zedekiah, I believe. Let's make sure I get it right. Yeah, Saul to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last king. And so, you know, some of the kings were good kings. Some of the kings were bad kings. And then it's the period of the priests. And the priests start with a man named Joshua here in the book of Zechariah. Now, that's not the Joshua that was with Caleb. That's hundreds of years before this. So this is the prophet Joshua that we'll study in the book of Zechariah. And so the priests... Now, this is really interesting. This is, this, I think you'll find this interesting and maybe even a little shocking. And that is the priests go from Joshua all the way until the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, after the establishing of the churches, after the book of Acts is finished. That's how long those priests go. There's only one that was good. Only one of those priests stood up for God and testified for God. That's how bad things had gotten. So what you see in the Old Testament is God calling the nation of Israel, and then you see this, this declension of their righteousness, their holiness, all the way through the Old Testament. And so Zechariah is a big part of God correcting that. Then there's something else that I want you to see that's going on, and you'll, you'll understand why this is important. But go with me. Now, here's the deal. You need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, look in the, the seat, look under the seat in front of you, get a Bible in your hand, and then we're going to be all over. There's a table of contents in the front of your Bible, but you're going to have a really hard time understanding what's going on today if you don't have a Bible in your hand. So you're going to want to put a ribbon in Zechariah, and you're going to have to put markers in different places. If you want to take offering envelopes out of the thing in front of you and use those, since you don't put money in them anyway, just put the, the thing in there. All right. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 21. Some of you haven't been here for a study in a book of the Bible yet, and so you've seen us deal with different topics, but our authority is the Bible, and we understand the verses of the Bible by comparing it with other verses of the Bible. So what happens is you really end up getting a better understanding of your Bible by studying it that way. If I start quoting a bunch of Bible scholars to you, well, unless you want to go and buy those Bible scholars' books, that's not really a help to you. But if I say, turn to this passage and write this cross-reference down, turn to this passage, this passage will explain what this means. So you can take that home with you. And the next time you're reading through that passage, you can look at that cross-reference and God reinforces that in your mind and you understand the Bible better. And just so you know, I do study a lot of these other Bible scholars. I've got, you know, 5,000 books in my library back there and we use a lot of them. Uh, but that doesn't help you unless you want to, you know, spend the money and get a 5,000 volume library. How many of you are ready to go do that right now? That, yeah, Patrick Kennedy, he's already got more than that. He's, he, he just wants to steal mine. Watch him as he leaves the church today. All right, so we're going to explain some things from the text that will really help you to understand your Bible today. So look at Luke chapter 21, verse 24. So this is Jesus Christ 
And this is what's called the Olivet Discourse. It's here. It's also in Matthew 23 and 24. But what I want you to see here is in verse 24, Luke 21, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And so this is talking about the, the Jews during the tribulation period. And shall be trodden down of the... What's that next word? Gentiles. Everybody, what's that word? Gentiles. And now you see a time word. Until. So one of the ways that you understand your Bible is look for time words. All right? There's another time word in there. It's called times. How many of you could figure out that's a time word? Any of you got that one? You good? All right. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What are the times of the Gentiles? The times of the, are, of the Gentiles, and this is really important. If you ever want to understand your Bible, this is one of the most important things to get. The times of the Gentiles is the time, it's a period of time, in which God deals with the world through Gentile rulers, Gentile kings. So you really get a good understanding of it. We're not going to look at it today, but Daniel chapter 2, where he identifies these four kingdoms that will rule the world, and the fourth kingdom has never gone away. It's divided into two periods. So you have the, the Babylonian Empire, you have the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And so the, you had the Babylonian Empire conquered Israel, and then the Persian Empire conquered Babylon, and then the, the, Roman, the, the Greek Empire cap, uh, conquered Persia, then the Roman Empire conquered the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire split into two divisions, the East and the West. Religiously, you ended up with the Roman Catholic Church, that's the Western division, and the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, that's the, it's 1054, it's called the Great Schism, and yet, in those areas, there's still a political rule that goes on. So the Roman Empire has never ended. Now, it ceased to be a major power, something like 453, with the invasion of the Vandals, when the Vandals sacked Rome. But as far as the influence and the, the rule of those nations, they still exist. So that is the, the times of the Gentiles, and God will use Gentile kings, Gentile rulers, Gentile presidents to to accomplish his purposes. And we're going to see how some of that works today. So the times of the Gentiles, it began, the times of the Gentiles began with the carrying away of the nation of Israel by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. That's when the times of the Gentiles began. And so what's going to happen is the Jews are going to be trodden down, the Bible says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So God's not done with the nation of Israel. Isn't that right? Look with me at Romans chapter 11. There's a teaching, and it's a fallacious teaching, called uh, replacement theology. And that's the teaching that because Israel rejected Jesus, that now the church has replaced Israel. All of the Old Testament promises that God made to Israel now apply to the church. That's heresy. All right? That's just false. Does God go back on His promises? No. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Zechariah. That's the point of the book of Zechariah, is that God will fulfill His promises. Look at what it says, Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. For I would not, brethren, I don't want you, I would not. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Here's what we would say. Don't be stupid. All right? Don't be ignorant of this. And what it says is, Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. God hasn't replaced Israel with the church. 
Don't be conceited about that. That blindness in part is happened to Israel. What's it say? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. All right? So when the last Gentile gets saved, God's going to turn his attention back to Israel. And then what's going to happen? Look at the next verse. And so all, what's that next word? So that's how I know he's talking about Israel. You know, you wonder, how do people get so confused about this? You know, you understand the Bible if you look at the words. It says, and all, not the church shall be saved. It says, and all Israel shall be saved. God's not done with Israel. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So God's not done with Israel. He made a covenant with them. And so that's what the book of Zechariah is reinforcing. And it deals with so many topics that are vital to what we're doing. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just do a quick overview of what the book of Zechariah is about. And then I want us to look at the times of the Gentiles and try to understand how God used these kings. So what's in the book of Zechariah? It's called the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. Now, the Apocalypse. What is the Apocalypse? That's the book of Revelation. All right, another name for the book of Revelation is the Apocalypse. And so sometimes Zechariah is called the Apocalypse of the Old Testament because of all the information it gives about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's made up of ten visions. It's considered the, the hardest of the Old Testament books to understand. And so we're really going to have a good time. And what I don't understand, I'll just make stuff up and you guys will never know the difference. No, no, we're going to try not to do that. We're going to look through. There's going to be stuff I'm going to say, you know what, I don't get this. I, you know, th so-and-so said this, so-and-so said this. All these people that I trust, these are the positions they take on this. Some of it I don't know. Others of it is so clear you can't get around it. So it's going to be a really fun book to study. Many feel that Zechariah is the most messianic of all the Old Testament books. In other words, it says more about Jesus than any of the Old Testament books. And that's why it's a really good book for us to study. Listen to what it says. It talks about the Messiah, and it presents him as the branch who will remove iniquity. He's going to remove that. He's the shepherd, the stone, the coming king. It talks about the triumphal entry of Jesus on an ass. It talks about him being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It talks about his crucifixion. It talks about his second coming. It says it's that they're looking on me whom they have pierced. All of that more than 400 years before Jesus Christ was even walking the earth in the incarnation. It's an amazing book of the Bible. It contains more messianic prophecies than all the other minor prophets put together. It focuses on the day of the Lord, the return of Israel in unbelief. They're passing through the great tribulation, their deliverance by the King, Jesus, the Messiah. And it also holds the key to understanding what Mystery Babylon is. When you get to Revelation chapter 17 and it talks about Mystery Babylon, the book of Zechariah helps us to understand a bunch of that. Go with me to, um, to Ezra. Ezra. So that's toward the front of your Bible. So after the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Then you get into First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Then you have Ezra. Look at Ezra chapter 6. There's something that I want you to understand. God's in charge. Okay? And when God says something, it is going to happen. That's all there is to it. Jesus said, you tear down, you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in three days. What happened? They killed him and he rose from the dead three days later. Everything Jesus says that will happen, it will happen. What we like to say is that prophecy 
is God writing history before it happens. Right? What is history? It is the retelling of something that's happened in the past. Prophecy is God writing something, and you might as well call it history because it's going to happen. Exactly the way that God said it would happen. So look at Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. Then Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, Shethar Boznai, and their companions, according to that, now look, look, which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of, look, Haggai and the prophet, or Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah. So Haggai and Zechariah, they're contemporaries. All right, so the book of Haggai comes right before the book of Zechariah in your Bible. Haggai is made up of four sermons, and those four sermons are barn burners. He is tearing the hide off of those people. If you've been in a service and you walked out of there and you felt like you'd been whipped, right? That's what Haggai did. I mean, he was pounding these people. Now, now to be honest, they deserved it, okay? They deserved it. Zechariah is different. Zechariah is one big cheerleader for the people finishing the temple and telling them everything that God's going to do. So it's going to be a really fun book for us to study. But look at what it says. So we're in the middle of verse 14. Through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. Now notice, in another place, it calls him uh, the son of Becharias. Uh, it, so the, what's the difference? Hebrew doesn't have a name or doesn't have a word for grandson or grandfather. So he's the son of. That means that he is from that lineage, all right? Uh, Barakiah, I'm sorry, that's the name. So Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the son of Edo, and they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment. So look it. So it's the commandment of who? God of Israel. Everybody with me? Some of you went to sleep. I lost you already. Hey, I'll start over. All right, so look at what it says. According to the commandment of who? All right, overflow. Who is that? The who? All right. Now, this is so important. And according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So God uses three kings to accomplish his purpose. And what's so interesting, we're going to see something about these kings but they didn't set out to do God's will. God commanded it, and then they commanded it. So keep your place here in Ezra. Go to Proverbs chapter 21. Look at verse 1. How many of you here want to model your morality and your Christianity? No, let me say it this way. How many of you here want your children to model their morality and Christianity after President Trump? No. No. But we knew that's what he was. Isn't that right? That's, that's what he is. And so sometimes people will say, how many of you heard this? You're a Christian. How could you vote, to someone who, vote for someone who behaves like President Trump? How many of you heard somebody say something like that? And the only answer is because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Those were our two choices. That's what we had. Right? But it's very interesting. President Trump has done way more than Ted Cruz ever would have done. 
way more than what Jeb Bush would have done. And my, my, I would have voted for Ted Cruz. That's who I would have voted for. Go through the list. John Kasich, come on. He has done more than any of those traditional Republicans would have done. How many of you have noticed that? It's amazing. So we do not stand for his morality, but we stand for good government. You're going to see some things in this text that will really help you understand how God works through all of those things. Look at Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God can use, listen, a wicked ruler to accomplish his purposes. Now, wouldn't it be better to have a righteous ruler? That'd be better. But God is not bound to men. It is such a wonderful thing to see. So go back to uh, the Ezra passage. Ezra 6. Look at verse 15. And this house, it's talking about the temple. And this house was finished on the third day in the month Adar, which was the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Now go to Ezra chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying... So now look at what has happened. So that the prophecy that Jeremiah had made, Cyrus made this proclamation. But Jeremiah was a prophet of God 70 years earlier. Cyrus didn't know Jeremiah. So it's really interesting. This again, his hand is in the heart, the, the king's hand is in, or the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Thus saith, verse 2, king of Cyrus, I'm sorry, this, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, or he is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts, beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So what's this king saying? I'm going to let them go. I'm going to fund the project. And everybody in my kingdom, when they come through, I want you to give them whatever they need to accomplish this task. How awesome is that? But I want you to learn some things. See, doesn't it seem like Cyrus is a godly king? Doesn't it look like? You know, this is a king that we would want. Let's, let's try to get a good understanding of this. Go to, oh, j just go one page back. Go to Second Chronicles 36. So Second Chronicles 36 is the end of the Old Testament for the Jews. So if you had a Jewish Bible, their Bible has 39 books in the Old Testament. And it begins with Genesis, but it would end in the order of their books. They end right here. This is the end of the Jewish Bible. And look at what it says in verse 22. 
2 Chronicles 36, 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. I don't have time to go into it. Maybe we will another service. But imagine you're a Jew living anywhere in the world today, and you want to know what God has to say to you. Go to Israel and build the temple. Do you know what the Jews are supposed to do right now? They're supposed to go to Israel and build the temple. God's word hasn't changed. Is that incredible? And when you look at the way God used Gentile kings to get Israel back in that land, it's unbelievable. All right? So let's try and get a little bit better understanding of who this Cyrus is. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44. I believe it's verse 28. Yes, Isaiah 44, verse 28. All right, the Bible says, That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall, per- and shall perform all my pleasure. So do you see what he's calling Cyrus? His shepherd. God is calling this King Cyrus his shepherd. And then it says, And shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. All right, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his... What's that next word? Anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings. What, what that means is those guys, they're going to lose their water. They're going to be so afraid of him, they lose control of themselves. God put that fear of Cyrus in the kings around him. To subdue nations before him, I will loosen, middle of verse 45, the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut and sunder the bars of iron. Nothing's going to stop him. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Babylon. What does it say? He's not the, God, he's not the king of Israel. He's the king of Babylon. King of Persia. All right? Then look at what it says. And I will... Verse 4. Why is he going to do this? For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. Now look at what it says. I have, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. What's repetition in the Bible? Volume control. What does God want us to know? This king didn't know who the one true God was, and yet God raised him up and empowered him, anointed him, called him to do a job. Why? Because it's the times of the Gentiles. 
verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside, not Cyrus, but me. I am the Lord and there is none else. All right, so now these other kings that are being spoken of, go to the book of Daniel chapter 5. All right, <clears throat> verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, so Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Median, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So he's 62 years old, Darius is. And so what's happening? This is Nebuchadnezzar was the king. This other man had followed Nebuchadnezzar. They were the Chaldeans. Now the Persians are going to be in control. Have you heard of the law of the Medes and the Persians? He was a Median, the Medes and the Persians. And so now it's Darius. And this is the king that was king where Daniel went through all of his difficulties. And uh, we may look at some more of that down the road. So you have that. And then, of course, we're all familiar with all the things that Artaxerxes did. So these are the kings that God worked with. And God finished the temple under Darius. So... Cyrus has them go back to the kingdom. Darius is the one that allowed them to finish the temple. So what are some things that we can learn? Let's, let's just put some handles on this. So what God had done, go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25, look at verse 8. What God had done was, out of all the men in the world, he chose Abraham. And he said, Abraham, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. And Abraham's the son of Eber, and so these are called the Hebrews. The Hebrews, the Hebrews. And that, uh, that nation, they were the smallest, most insignificant, most stubborn, most rebellious people in the land. And so God said, I'm going to use you. Why? Because he took the least and the worst to show that he is the greatest and the best. And he made of them a great nation. And so by the time they come out of Egypt, through the plagues, all of the, the, the plagues, they, they take the wealth of the nation of Egypt, and God takes them through the Red Sea. He drowns the nation of Egypt, the armies there, so they can't pursue them. The Bible says they're baptized in 1 Corinthians 10, that the nation of Israel is baptized unto Moses under the cloud and in the sea as they go through. They're baptized unto Moses. They identify with him as their leader. He takes them through 40 years of the wilderness. He feeds them with the manna. He feeds them with the meat. And then he takes them into the promised land. And he says, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant. And I'm going to give you a land and it's yours. But there's going to be some rules that you have to keep in order to do that. And they didn't keep them. And so the Old Testament, is, is, it's a series of failure and failure and failure and failure of the nation of Israel. And yet God says, I will keep my promises to you. And look at one of the promises he's going to keep. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words. Man, here's words. If you're here today and you know who God is and you're not doing what he wants you to do. Oh, my goodness. Here's words. Behold, verse 9, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, 
What are those next two words? Times of the Gentiles. My servant. And will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about them. And I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. This is, again, is one of those verses that I've never seen on a pillow. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. Number seven is God's number of judgment or God's number of perfection. Seventy years, seventy years of judgment. And it came and it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And that's when he's overthrown. And that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. Remember the land of Chaldeans? We just saw that Darius destroyed the king of Chaldea. We saw that in uh, Daniel chapter 5. All right, now go to Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Isn't that a blessing? What God's going to do is He is going to judge them. But isn't it a blessing that there's an end to the judgment and God's going to restore the nation of Israel? So they go back to the nation of Israel. Go back to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. And in Ezra chapter 1, this is the command by King Cyrus for the people to go back to the land and reestablish the temple. All right, Ezra 1.1. 1, 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Um, look at... Oh, we'll, we'll just stop right there for a second. And I think that's as far as we're going to go today. But I want you to learn a couple of things about this. So, more than a million people... All right, don't pack up yet, Okay. More than a million people are taken from Israel into Babylon. A million people. But they get to go back to their land. Only 50,000 go back. And when they get back, there are a group of people living there. So the people that, that Babylon took were the best. So when you have um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel... They were the, the, the best of the best of the nation of Israel. So the poor people and the old people were left in the land. And what they did, so those, they're, they're Jewish people, but they married with the Canaanites and the people that were in the land, what was left. So when the Jews go back, they're met with a group of people called the Samaritans. That's where the Samaritans came from. So these 50,000, they go back and within seven months... What they've done is they've built the altar of sacrifice for the Lord and they have started the sacrifice, sacrificing to God again. 
So they go back and they just build crude shelters enough to keep the elements off of them. And they begin working on the place of worship. The first thing, their first priority when they got back to the land was to reestablish the worship to the one true God. And it's such a great lesson to us. There are two things that I want you to get from this. Number one, a small group that's sold out for God can accomplish a lot more than a lot of people that are still married to the world. So all, all God ever uses is a small group of people that are sold out for Him. That's what I want Grace Baptist Church to be. The other lesson that I want us to learn was the first thing that they did in their lives was they, they reestablished worship. You know, there are a lot of people that say, well, I'm going to start serving the Lord when I get this promotion. I'm going to start serving the Lord after I buy this house. I'm going to start serving the Lord after I remodel this house. And so what happens is we neglect the things that God wants us to do until we have the things that we think we ought to have. Now, listen, God's given us a nice house. We worked like a dog. Dan New worked like a dog on my house. And man, he did a good job. Pastor Nathan, Luke, both those guys, they worked really hard helping me fix up my house. And I'm very thankful for that. But can you imagine if every Sunday I came and preached something that I had preached before while we were doing that? Sorry, didn't have time to study. I was working on the house. That'd be a bad thing, wouldn't it? That'd be wrong. It'd be stealing. Now, there's nothing wrong with re-preaching a sermon. Sometimes I need to preach it again because you guys haven't gotten it yet. You know what I mean? But that's not God's plan for the ministry. We're supposed to put Him first. So here's what happens. They go into the land. They start accomplishing some things. Then the Samaritans come and start giving them trouble. And we're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. Samaritans start giving them trouble. So listen, not only did they build the altar, but they had started building the temple and they'd laid the first course of stones for the new temple. They started getting trouble. And so they just stopped. They stopped building for 16 years. And so that's why Haggai comes and rips the skin off them, preaching, saying, you need to get started. And then Zechariah comes and encourages them to continue what God wants them to do. Now, listen, some of you are thinking that I am, you know, conniving enough to say, you're just preaching that so we'll finish the church building. I'm not that smart. It's so funny. I was listening to James Knox preach this text yesterday and Laura heard it and she walked by and we were both just, it was just shocking that right where we are in the building project, that's, it feels like it's been 16 years since we started and it's not done. Don't worry. We're moving ahead with it. Amen. But we need to not lose the zeal for that project. We need to make sure that we're willing to sit in the overflow. We need to make sure that we're willing to do what we need to do, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable. And that's what God's people did. They went back to the land. They started well. But then because of pressure, because it was no longer comfortable, they stopped working. And what did God do? God had to send his prophets to say, finish the work. Finish the work. So this is it, and I'm done. I want to ask you a question. Is there something God has led you to start that you haven't finished. Finish the work. Finish the work. Another question would be, what are you putting before the worship of God in your life? You see, God commended those people when they first got back. They put the worship of the Lord before everything else that was going on. What about us? What in our lives do we put before the worship of our God? 
And then number three, there's a verse in the New Testament that says, Ye did run well. Who hath hindered you? You know, you might be here and you started serving the Lord, but another Christian hurt your feelings or, or they did something that you said, you know, a believer wouldn't do that and you've stopped. You know, we don't serve God for the people around us. We serve God because He's worthy. So the questions, is there anything that you're putting before the worship of God? Is there anything you've started that you haven't finished? And then number three, have you stopped because something has happened? Just like happened to the children of Israel as they went back into the land. Folks, we need to move ahead for Him. Amen? And that's what the book of Zechariah is about. That's what we're going to do. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for giving us this book of the Bible. And Lord God, I pray that You'll help us as we study this to, to know Your Word better, to know the future better, and to become closer to You through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.